0: You know, We gather for one name and for one name only. That is the name of Jesus. And that is what we are about here at Next Community Church. I believe Jesus is the hope of the world, the hope that the world desperately needs. And so um, I want to welcome you to Next Community Church, especially if you're a guest here. Uh, we're honored that you're here. Pray that you would feel very much welcomed. Good morning those of you joining us online. And um, if you're a first-timer here, there's a card right in front of you. Do us a favor. Just fill that out. Let us know you're visiting with us. Bring it up to the desk there up front by the main doors. We've got a free gift to give to you. Just want to say thank you so much for being here. You know, we, we're, we're in a very unique and special season right now at Next Community Church. It's a very special time where we are um, taking a, an honest look at what it is going to look like for us to rise up and to be the church that we believe God has called us to be and to step by faith and sacrifice into the vision that God has put on our hearts for such a time as this. We believe that the world desperately needs the church now more than ever in our generation, in our time, in our lifespan. And so um, there's a weightiness, I feel, during this season. Uh, and uh, we looked last week at, at Solomon in the temple in the the opportunity that God gave them to build the house, but then there's no temple anymore. I showed you a picture where the temple should be. There's a there's a mosque there, a Muslim mosque, a dome of the rock, because they they strayed from what it was that God told them to do. They they forfeited their opportunity. And and I feel very much like this. This opportunity is right before us, and my prayer for all of us is, all right, Lord, let us step into this by faith. I don't want to miss this opportunity because you you can miss God. You can miss what God is inviting you to do. And and my prayer is that 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 would not be us, that we would, for such a time as this, step by faith into this this great mission. I've told you we felt like God told us to do four things, to to stay here and skip back, plant roots here, to try and buy this building to be involved in this community more, to love this community more, and then to plant churches because we're buying a building that we already know is too small. And so we're going to continue to plant gospel, Bible-centered churches all around this area. And so we're stepping by faith in trying to buy this building. And I I want to clean up and clear up. Some questions came up, good questions this last week about what we talked about last week. If you weren't here last week, can I just encourage you to go back because we kind of rolled out the game plan of how we're going to step now into this vision that we believe God's given us to buy this building at $3.2 million. And, and so I wanted to make sure that you, um, if you didn't get, get this brochure and this commitment card last week, make sure you get these. They're right outside this door on the way out. Just one per family, if you would. Take these. It explains what we're doing. Um, this is what I want to try and clear up a little bit. Um, the, there's, a, there's a Rise Up campaign that we're doing. All of the money that goes to the Rise Up campaign, goes to three things. And I wanted to tell you what those three things are. So all the money that we raised during this time is going to go to one of three things. One it's going to go to, to, to buy this building. Uh, we need $480,000 to close on this building. We have a closing um, due May 2nd. Uh, and so we, we would love to be able to come and not have to have a mortgage and so uh, we're asking you to, by faith and by prayer, to pray and say, Lord, what is the part that we, pray, we play in that? And that's what these commitment cards are. And we're asking all of you to bring these back next week. I'm asking you to pray for a couple of weeks and um, to take time and to say, Lord, what, what will it look like for us to be a part of this? I'm going to walk through this card in a second, though. So the second thing that all the money is going to go to is we told you we're going to, we're going to create some new lobby space. We're going to create like a, a, a welcome area and a kind of a coffee bar. It's going to be a space for the youth to hang out on Thursday nights. Um, basically, we're going to open up that whole curved wall and just create a, a much-needed hangout space, kind of meet space, so we're not all jam-packed in the hallways. Um, and, and so, and then we're going to move the elementary upstairs because now we'll have the upstairs space as well. And so, uh, it's going to go to those renovations. And then the rest of the money that will be raised will just go to pay down the mortgage, should, should we need to have one, right? If we raise $3.2 million, next week, praise God, it'll be a miracle, a God sized miracle. We can go and we don't have to borrow money, the church won't have to be in debt. Um, but if we don't have that much to close May 2nd, then money that comes in over the next three years, will just go all anything earmarked for building goes to the building, right? We don't, we don't put that some other places. Um, so, um, somebody asked, how do we designate giving? How do we, how do we, how do we know? I'm asking you to, um, not, not take what you give regularly and just substitute it towards, towards this, this new initiative here because, that doesn't then we can't do what we normally do. And so we're asking you to prayerfully sacrifice over and above. And so if you, you give a check once a month, um, if you send it in you, on the check, you can just write on the memo. Let's say you send in $100 dollars. Uh, 80 dollars to the general and over and above 20 is to, uh, of that 100 goes to the rise up campaign. If you give online, um, we'll have a little uh, drop-down box that you can just click, Rise Up Building Campaign, right? And so if you're giving $100 online, you can designate uh, $80 to regular or general giving and 20 to the Rise Up Campaign. You can designate it that way. We have a little box in the back, too, if you're here and you give. There's a little box in the back for you to <coughs> excuse me to give to as well. And then these cards. Um, we're asking you to bring these back next week. Tomorrow's or next Sunday is kind of what we call Commitment Sunday, and Commitment Sunday, these cards, if you haven't had a chance to look at it yet, I, I want you to look at it. I'm, I'm asking you to pray really about two numbers. The two numbers that we've asked you to pray about is what, what can you give towards the down payment, right? Towards uh, our closing that comes up in a little over a month. And that's what we're asking you to bring next week, literally to bring that gift next week. And, uh, and then we're asking over three years, what are you able to give over and above on a regular basis for the next three years, um, that our hope is that we would be debt-free as a church in in three years, that we wouldn't carry debt, that we can then turn around and use that for money, or for money, for ministry. We can use that money for ministry. We can use that for for, um, uh, going on missions trips, supporting missionaries, hiring a renewed director, hiring a local community outreach director, um, stepping into some of the things that we believe God's putting on our hearts to be the church in this community. So... Um, so all of that, um, uh, bring these next week, and I'll go over them even more so in detail next week if you don't, if you don't have a chance to fill it out. Okay, so um, such a time as this. We looked two weeks ago at Esther and, and how Esther was put in a, a spot, in a, in a terrible spot. Her, 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 her town destroyed, her city destroyed, the temple destroyed, carried away in exile, hundreds of miles away, and, and rose up to be queen and reminded by her uncle, maybe God put you here in this position in the midst of everything that's going sideways and everything that just seems wrong for such a time as this. And last week we looked at Solomon building God a temple, but there is no temple because they missed the opportunity because they didn't obey God. They didn't obey God. And that's what I want to talk about with you this morning. I want to, t- I want to talk about obeying God. And um, obedience is, is it's never a fun thing to talk about. It's even less of a fun thing to try and always do and be. Right, kids? Easy, is it easy to obey? It's not easy to obey, right? Especially when you don't think mom and dad know what they're talking about, right? And, 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 and so what do you do, though? When you, and obedience doesn't always get easier as you get older. Obedience is a challenge whether you're 2, 22, or 62. Because you, the older you get, the more that you think you know. And then all of a sudden God says, no, 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 but I I want you to step out in faith and do this. And you say to yourself, that don't make any sense. God's like, right. And so, you know, as a teenager, you think your parents don't know what you're talking about. And then you get older as an adult, and sometimes you think God doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And and how do we continue to obey God? And we're going to look at a story in the Bible of of a person that, You you could just read this story and you could read right over the fact that there is a major implication for obeying God in this thing. And and, and we do that sometimes. When you read the Bible, you you need to read the Bible with, with holy imagination as to what really is going on there. We're going to look at the story of Abraham and his story of obedience. And we're going to talk about obedience specifically in regards to what does it look like to obey God even with the area of our finances. That's really hard, right? That's a really hard challenge to obey God because obedience in in general is hard. Some of you have a natural, obedient type of personality. I think think most of us don't, right? You don't have to teach kids to not obey. You have to teach them to obey because naturally we gravitate towards that. And for some of us, we never grow out of our rebellious nature, right? Um, my, My wife has a natural obedience personality type, right? So we're driving down the road, And there's a sign that says, road closed ahead, detour. She says, we got to go this way. Natural obedience, follow the detour. Not natural obedience. I say, I think we can get ahead. I think there's a spot. up. They left a crack in the barriers. I think we can fit through, and I think we can... Some of you are with me. You know that the road closed up there. They're not always closed. They're going to close it, but you can get by. and You don't have to. Right? How many of you are with me in that? You try it, right? And like nine out of ten times, it don't work, right? And you're like, crud. And she's like, I told you. I'm like, I know. But that one time it works, you're like, see? And it gives you hope to keep trying that. Natural disobedience. And, 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 and so don't like being told what to do. And, and, and for some of us, we never grow out of that. And it's a challenge. And so you come to the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. It says this, the Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives in your father's house to the land I will show you. I'm going to stop right there. Don't put up the next verse yet. Did you catch it? Right? I mean, how easy is it to read this verse and then just keep going? What if God came to you today and said, Hey, get up and go. Leave your homeland, leave your connections, your security, your job, your relationships, everything that where you're at, where you know. I want you to get up and go. And you say, uh, where? where? He says, I'll I'll show you. He says, Where? I want to know where we're going. God's like, I'll show you. This is what's going on here. God tells Abraham to get up and go. And then it says this. God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I know some of you are starting to think right now. Let me keep reading. And God says, I'm going to bless those who bless you, and I'm going to curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And then some of you are saying, well, if God told me that, I mean, if God was that clear with me and his promise was that clear to me, then yeah, I'd go, I'd listen to him, I'd obey and to which I want to call hogwash because I would say he's told us his promises, he's given it to us in very clear words, he's made his promises abundantly clear, he's proven faithful and faithful time again, but yet we still don't obey. So it's not a matter, let's just be honest with ourselves. It's not a matter of, well, if God would just tell me clearly, then I'd do it. He has. We just, we just have an, an obedience problem. And then it says this, these three little words. Verse 4, so Abram went. Okay, God, you said it, I'm going to do it. Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot, that was his nephew, went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. And I know some of you think, well, they lived to be older, older back then, right? They lived to be like a 900 years old. And like, no, no, this, this is now past the time where they lived to be that old. 75 years old back then at this point is old, okay? He's an, he's an old guy. No offense to you 75 year olds out there. But here's, here's, you know you're old. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, right? And so, <laughs> but here's what I would encourage you with. You're never done taking steps of faith with God. All right, my senior saints out here, it's not like you've reached a point in your life where are like, well, we've gotten past that point now. Let's just kind of coast into the finish line now. No, no, no. Abraham was 75 years old, and he's at the point now where God's even telling him, you're going to take this step of faith, and you're going to obey me. And so that's really what faith is. I told you before that faith is kind of the end of what makes sense to you and what you can do, and then what God tells you to do. Faith is that spot in the middle, where we're gonna to have to step into in order to experience the things that God is calling us to experience. And, and so, obeying God is hard. It's not always easy. If it was easy, everyone would do it. And especially when it comes to this area of finances. I'd say it, I'd say it like this. One of the most difficult areas to be obedient is with our money. Isn't it? That's one of the most difficult areas to, to be... And this is what Jesus said. I'm only saying what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He said, no one can serve two masters since he will hate one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he says, here's the two masters that are going to be competing for your life. You cannot serve both God and money. Right? He knew there was going to be this competition in our heart for who we're going to live for, who we're going to serve, who's going to be master of our life, who are we going to obey, and who are we going to chase after, God knew. I mean, he knew. He made us. He knew where our hearts were going to struggle, and he knew there was going to be this, this faith challenge of whether we're going to put our faith in our bank account or our faith in our God. And so he, he's telling us you've got to choose which master you're going to serve. And I, I, I would Again, I'd say like this. I think God sees our faith and our finances as inseparable, There's a relationship between that, 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 and it's so ironic that on our money it says in in God we trust, but yet for so many of us it's the complete opposite. It's the thing that we trust that it says in God we trust. That's where our trust is. And so God knows our hearts and he knows that our faith and our finances are inseparable. And so it begs the question to me today, when we're talking about having an obedience-like faith like Abraham, what does it look like to have godly obedience when it comes to finances? And when it comes to trusting God in this way, and this is going to sound like a, like a money talk, but it's really a faith talk. It's really a faith in God talk. And, and it's really important to understand the connection between these two things. And it's, I, I, I'm going to show you today, I'm going to give you three things to compare and contrast three sets of you got to understand these three things you're going to either be one or the other one or the other one or the other and in these three couplets it's so easy to get wrong okay and, and so I, that's what I want to talk about with you this morning if we're going to obey God and we're going to have faith in our in our God you, you've got to understand the, the, the tension that exists between our, our finances and our and our faith, okay? So here's the first thing is understanding the difference between a steward and an owner. I want to talk to you the difference between a steward and an owner. And the Bible the Bible describes these and uh, uh, one of one of one of these words pertains to us and one of these words pertains to God. And it's really important to understand which role you play because you and I can end up playing, trying to play God's part, and things get upside down real fast, right? The, the word steward and stewardship, it, it, we use that word in churchy circles, and it sounds like it's a spiritual word, it sounds like, you know, stewardship is a biblical term, and, and the reality is it's, it's not. It was, it was around before that. It's an old English feudal term. Um, think Think braveheart. Okay. Think Braveheart, and this was this was actually the feudal economic system that that was in place at the time that the King James Bible was was being written, and um, and so the language of steward is there in in the Bible. That word is used there, but but the idea of of steward and owner is is that there was the guy who uh, in the big castle uh, he was the lord. He was the Lord, and he was the Lord of his realm. And, and a realm in today's uh, conversion would be about the size of three counties, right? So you think of about the size of Bucks County and Montgomery County and, and maybe Philadelphia County, right? And so you think about that land mass, and, and the guy in the big castle, he was the Lord. And, and, and he owned it all, right? He was the owner of the realm. And, and then the guy in the next house, the next biggest house, it was his job to run the realm, right? And he was in charge of the people, and he was in charge of the labor force, and he was in charge of the finances, and in charge of communications, and, and in charge of boundaries and boundary disputes, right? He ran the realm to which the Lord owned. And so anybody want to take a guess? what the name of the guy was that ran the realm that the Lord owned. His name was, the the title given to him was steward. That was it. Not steward, like Stuart Little. Steward, right? Steward. He was the steward of everything that the Lord owned. And it was important that he understood his role. He didn't own it. He managed it. In today's terms, think Think asset manager. That's what a steward is—an asset manager, right? If you invest um, and you trust, you trust your your investment, your finances to an asset manager. You you want him to steward what you own. Well, he doesn't own it; he manages it, right? He's managing that which you own. And in the Bible, it's really, really important that you and I understand. That God is the owner, and you and I are the stewards. We're the managers. We're okay, we're the asset managers. And and, and let me just read you a couple verses. There's so many of them. I just picked two because there's so many. I could overwhelm you with verses, but that I think two will prove the point. That it's God who owns it all, right? In Psalm 50, it says, For every animal of the forest is mine. This is the Lord speaking. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains, and the creatures of the field are mine. And if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and everything in it is mine, right? This is God saying, it's all mine. I created it all. I own it all. I'm in charge of it all, right? Uh, Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, okay? And so, and on and on and on we could go is, is that he is the Lord of the castle. He is the Lord of the realm. He is the owner of it all. And, and, and so the first step to you and I living by faith correctly is to understand your role and understand his role. I'd say it like this. The key to living a faith-filled financial freedom life is is these six words. God owns it, I manage it. That's, That's the key that you and I have to get here and here. God owns it, I manage it. Let's repeat that together, class. One, two, three, ready? God owns it, I manage it. Who's the owner? God. Who's the manager? Us. Okay? And so, when you start thinking you're the owner, that's when things can get upside down real fast. God actually has a chapter in the Bible. We're going to look at this next week. You know what happens when you start acting as an owner? And when you're really a manager? You know what God calls it? Theft. Robbery. You're, you're taking what's his and acting like it's yours. And he accuses Israel of robbery and says, You're robbing me. And so um, I, I know, I know, I know, I know your heart. I know you don't, you say, I don't want I don't rob from God. Anybody here want to sign up, steal from God, open up his wallet, start taking stuff out? And you're like, no, I don't want to do that. And you've got to understand owner, manager, and the two roles. Jesus told a parable. We're gonna spend the most time on this point, and then the next two will, will flow out of this. But Jesus told a parable to help people understand. This concept of our role um, in Matthew chapter 25, the whole the whole chapter Matthew 25 is Jesus talking about his return. He's talking about I'm going to leave, and then I'm coming back, right? And and he is he is coming back. He will come back again one day, and we pray, Lord, soon come back, right? And he told lots of stories about him coming back, um, and we don't want to miss it. I just read this week, if you think his first return or his first coming was talked about a lot, in the Old Testament it's prophesied a lot. You know how many more times his second coming is talked about? It's eight to one ratio. His second coming in the Bible is talked about his first coming. And, and so did people miss Jesus' first coming? Oh, Yeah. They missed They missed who he was. He claimed to be God. They missed it. I missed it, right? And so there's eight times more verses of his second coming. And, and, and I feel like church, God's clock is continuing to tick. And I feel like even that's why for such a time as this, it's like, all right, now is the time to be the church more than ever before because he is coming back. And we don't want to be missing it. We don't want to be surprised. We're like, oh, we didn't, we didn't know. It's like, he's like, I told you eight times more than I told you the first time. And so in Matthew 25, he's talking about coming back. But he's talking about what should be happening during this time in between his first coming and his second coming. And, and that's this parable he tells. And in verse 14, it says, it's, it's just like a man, right? He makes up stories. That's what parables are, uh, an earthly story to teach a spiritual truth. Okay. It's just like a man about to go on a journey. And he called his servants and he entrusted whose possessions? his possessions to them, right? So he's telling this story. It's about him leaving and he's going to give you some stuff and he's going to go, but he's going to come back. And this is the story. And the story goes, he gives one guy five talents. He gives another guy two talents and he gives another guy one talent. And and a talent was uh, an equivalent of, of 20 years wages, one talent, it was 20 years wages. So it's a good chunk of money he's, he's leaving. The, the, the amount isn't so much important, but it's the idea that I am leaving with you an investment. I'm going away. I'm going to come back, right? And that's how the story goes. Verse 19 says, After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And the man who had received five talents approached presented five more talents and said, Master, you gave me five. See, I've earned five more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, how awesome it will be that day when you go and you stand before the Lord face to face and you come to him and he says, Well done. I long for those words, friends. I long for those words. It drives me. It does. It motivates me. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. The man with two talents approached. And he said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. And the master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. And then the man who received one talent approached and said, "Master, I I know I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown, gathering where you haven't scattered seed. And I was afraid, and I went off and I hid your talent in the ground. See here, you have what is yours." And, and, and let me just say this just so you don't get stuck on this point, right? Because sometimes people get stuck on parables. and, and a parable is generally told to teach one main point. And, and sometimes people get stuck on all the little specific details, and they say, "This has to represent this, and this equals this, and that equals that." And you can start twisting things and like, like to hear, like, this is, this is not saying God is this way. This guy is describing his picture of God, and it's wrong. Just like people today have wrong pictures of who God is. This is one of the, points of the main points of the parable is that this guy had a wrong picture of who God is and so lived his life the wrong way during this time between the, the comings of Jesus, right? He had a wrong picture. And so the master replied to him, you evil, lazy servant, if you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered then you should have deposited my money with the bankers and I would have received the money back With interest when I return. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he who has more than, he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. What is the point? We're here to steward his possessions and to use them for his kingdom purposes not to build our own kingdom in our own name in our own fame and our own glory because he's coming back and he's gonna inspect and say how how have you been living while I'm gone oh i see you have been living for yourself oh you had a wrong picture of me you don't understand who i am god owns it i manage this is so this is the first this is why this is the first point I talked along with, because this is so important to understand. If you get this, if you mix these things up, if you think you're the owner of it, you're going you're gonna to miss the whole purpose of even why God has left us here. That brings us to the second, the second truth to understand, is the difference between understanding an eternal perspective and a temporary perspective an eternal perspective in a temporary perspective. I've told you this a few times now over the months, and I don't mean to be gloomy or depressing or, or downcast, but I think it's a very fitting analogy. You read scripture, you see how things are going, you know how the world is going to end one day, and the analogy is that we are living on the Titanic. We know how the story ends, and our job is as much as possible to have as many people get into the lifeboat that is named Jesus. And we are to tell people the truth and love them and serve them and care for them and introduce them to Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of the world. But make no mistake about it, all this is temporary. And, and, and adopting this, that you got to have this lens, friends. If you think this is your home, you're going to live for the wrong kingdom. And the scriptures invite you to live for an, an eternal kingdom. Uh, it's a kingdom that you don't see. But it's there. Oh, believe me, it's there. Which is why the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 3 said this. Set your minds on things above. You've got to set your mind there. It won't happen by accident. Because what you'll do is you'll get caught up and focus on everything that you see. The here and the now and the temporary. And you'll think this is what life is about. But it's not. It's going down. So you've got to set your minds on an eternal kingdom. This is what the Bible says. Don't set your mind on earthly things. Why? Here's what it says. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In other words, the old you is done. The old you only knew how to live for the thing of now. But now that you have Christ in your life, you now have a different perspective. Positionally speaking, you're already there. Which is why when we lose loved ones... It says in scripture, we don't grieve as those who have no hope because we know that our hope is in Jesus Christ. Like I, I, I know, I know I will see my mother again one day, right? Because she was hidden in Christ. Her life, she knew Christ, she had a relationship with Christ. Her life is now with Christ. And I know there'll be a sweet reunion in heaven one day because this is not our home. But in the meantime, I want to tell as many people the truth about Jesus, the lifeboat. You've got to have an eternal perspective. I want to, that's how I want to live. Jesus told lots of parables about this and I'll just pick one about how to live now and you, you could, I, I so want to hear these words, I, I'm telling you the truth, it drives me, it motivates me to hear stand before Jesus one day and hear well done, good and faithful servant. Joe, well done, good and faithful servant. But there's other words that you could hear. You could hear this, you fool, you fool, you lived foolishly. And Jesus told a parable about this. It's in Luke chapter 12. He then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed. Because one's life is not in the abundance of your stuff. Life is not about your possessions is what Jesus is saying. And then it says, then he told them a parable. Let me try to illustrate this. Jesus says, a rich man's land was very productive. And he thought to himself, what should I do? Since I don't have anywhere to store my crops, I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build bigger ones. And I'll store all my grain and my goods there. And then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you, what? fool!" This very night, your life is demanded of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? You can't take it with you. That's how it is with the one, listen, who stores up treasure to himself and is not rich towards God. This is what it means to have an eternal perspective. That you say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay it forward. <laughs> I'm going to invest it in. In the kingdom, so that in eternity I'll, I'll enjoy the rewards. And the Bible talks a lot about rewards. It does. It doesn't, it's not a thing that we should be ashamed of or even a thing to be like, well, I, I just want to be humble. No. God says invest into things of eternity that matter for eternity so that you'll enjoy it for eternity. Otherwise, get it, enjoy it now for the 50, 60, 70 years, and then it's over. And that's over. The ship goes to the bottom of the ocean, and it's all all over with all the stuff, right? Jesus said it like this in Matthew 6. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. And anybody want to... Don't put it up yet. Anybody want to take a guess what the very next verse is. We looked at it two weeks ago. Because, yes, because here's what Jesus said. Go ahead and I can put it up. Because wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to go. Remember that's when I did the uncomfortable thing and I made you pull your wallet out and do that whole thing, right? Right? I try to show you that wherever your treasure goes, there your heart goes. This is where Jesus said that. Right after he got done saying, don't store up treasures in, in, on, on the earth because it's, it's temporary. It's going to be destroyed. Store up treasures in heaven. Because wherever your treasure is, then your heart's going to go there. So are you an owner or are you a steward? Are you living for an eternal kingdom? Or are you living for a temporal kingdom? And here's the last thing, is that you and I have to wrestle through are we going to live a life and be willing to sacrifice, or are we just going to live and be selfish? And this, this, is, this is a hard one because we, we live in the greatest country on the earth that is so easy to be selfish and to be man-made and to kind of go get yours. And, to like, and all of the things that are great about this country are also the things that can also kind of do you in spiritually. Because the scriptures talk about us being willing to take a a posture of of sacrifice. And it's the opposite of of what comes natural. And again, Jesus, he's always always saying stuff to us that kind of rubs up against the flow of the culture. And now he's going to do some funny math. Um, He's, uh, you ever notice that, that God counts differently? (laughs) That uh, the things that he's looking for in his kingdom aren't the things that we would count or how we would count, and so there's a, a final story that we'll close with here. It's not a parable; this actually happened, and it's it's found in Mark chapter 12, and it says this: It says, sitting across from the temple treasury, he watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. So the setting is Jesus is there with his disciples. And they're there in this courtyard. It's actually a courtyard of, of, for for the woman, uh, for women. And and this. It's the, it's where you come to bring your offering, your gifts at the temple. And they had they have 13 different jars spread around the courtyard. We only have one, right? They put 13 around so you couldn't miss it. And 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 these jars <coughs> were like uh, uh, made out of um, uh, in the shape of like a trumpet, and they were some kind of metallic. Uh, Uh, construction. And so when you came and you put your money in, it made noise. And there's 13 of them all around. So you're hearing, you're hearing all this, this noise, right? And so Jesus and the disciples are there and they're watching the crowd. They're watching just kind of like people watching, people dropping into the treasury. And it says, many rich people were putting in large sums. So the bigger the gift, the more noise it would be. Plink, 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 plink. You're dropping all these coins in, right? And it's kind of like the bigger the coin, the louder the plink. And so, you know, you, you can kind of know who's given what, right? And then it says, then a poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins. Um, The Greek word is lepta. The King James translates it might. M-I-T-E. Worth very little. Worth barely even a penny, these two coins. And summoning his disciples, he said to them, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. I told you Jesus does funny math. This lady barely even put a penny in. Jesus, what are you you talking about? I mean, you can just kind of picture this. You can kind of picture the disciples sitting there watching, and they're watching, they're watching these these big fat cats coming up and dropping all kinds of coins in, and they're plinking all over the place, and like, wow, that was a big one. That guy must really love God. He's giving all these big gifts and everything like that. And then this little poor widow comes up, and she drops in this little mite. By the way... Um, I happen to have a mite. When I got to Israel this last year, I was like, I want to get a mite. I want to I have a mite. And they have them over there. Just, um, can you throw up the picture? We'll come back to the verses. I just need you to jump ahead for me. Um, go back to the one thing, though. I want them to see that. Here's It, it's, I, it says genuine, so I'm trusting it, right? That's, I'm trusting it. It says, I mean, they wouldn't lie, right? I just feel like they probably got like little eight-year-old boys in the back pressing these things on some machine and like sell them to these American tourists. And so this, this is... This is what a mite looks like. Can you see it? No. You can't see it. So that's why I took a picture of it. And I, that's, I, it, that's a dime there. And so it's smaller than a dime, right? And it's this little, there's little, inscri- I'll leave it up here after the service you want to come look at. It's got a little inscription on it. This is, this, is, this is the widow's mite. And she took two of them and it was all she had left. And that's what she put into the jar. You, you, you probably didn't even hear it. It wouldn't make any noise. And she just very humbly came in, put him in, turned, probably walked away. And Jesus says, Did you guys see that? And they're like, See what? Did you see what she just did? Now what? She just gave more than everybody else. Jesus, I think you're getting confused. You didn't even hear what she put in. It was so small. Again, Jesus' Jesus' math is funny. He counts differently. Now you can go back to verse 44 if you would. It says this. For they all gave out of their surplus, but she gave out of her poverty and has put everything she had, all she had to live on. Who gave more? Jesus said she did, even though it was much less. Why? Because it was sacrifice it was not out of surplus. It required faith. And that's how God counts. And and that's why um, and, and, and a couple have said, listen, why don't we do this? We know the building costs 3.2 million. We know how many people go here. Let's take 3.2 million and let's chop it down by the number of people. And we come up with a number and we say, listen, if everybody gave this number, then we could get the building. It wouldn't seem like such a big task. It's just a little thing. and And, and it's not a terrible idea, but Here's what, let's say the number is, I don't know what the number is, but let's say the number is $10,000. For some of you, $10,000 would be like, no big deal. You could write a check today for $10,000. It wouldn't be a very big deal. And for others of you, if we put $10,000 on you, it would be such a, a burden and a financial weight that you'd, just be like, you'd, you'd feel paralyzed. You'd feel like there's nothing I can do. you feel like I, I can't even come close to doing that, and so what, why do I even do anything? And, 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 and by the way, we don't want to man-engineer this thing. That's why for the last three weeks, all I've been asking you to do is go sit with God, listen to whatever he's saying to you, and then next week I'm just going to ask you to obey him. And to to do what he says to do. Because I'd say it like this. What what I think God is looking for is not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. And what what does it look like to to not everyone try to just give the same number, but for you to go before God and say, what does sacrifice look like for, for, for me and my family? What does it look like for us to perhaps go without so that God's kingdom can go with? Because this is how Jesus counts. And so I'm going to invite Brittany up to the stage. And um, I've known Brittany a long time and and watched her journey. And um, her journey in trusting God with finances is a crazy journey. And she could take all morning to share the journey. And I told her, you got three minutes. So
1: I got a three and a half. You
0: got a three and a half? That's great. So share share your journey, Britt.
1: Good morning. (coughs) I'm going to share a little bit about God's faithfulness um, in my life through my surrender to Him. I was probably 14 or 15 the first time God challenged me. I was working and felt the desire to sponsor a child. I received a little girl named Pooja from India. I wondered if I'd ever be able to meet her, but as a young teen that seemed impossible. I didn't know but God had placed a love for India in my heart. Fast forward to my adult life, I wasn't exactly living like the daughter of the king or honoring my heavenly father. I got married to a man I had dated for years because I thought I couldn't do any better. My marriage was toxic at best. Screaming, yelling, and broken things was a normal occurrence. But God blessed me with my son, Nicholas. One night, I remember saying, Lord, I'm going back to church so you can fix my marriage, or I'm getting divorced. So I started attending Keystone. Weekly, I would sit there sobbing as Joe spoke directly to me. Week after week, I felt the Lord tap me on the shoulder. You need to be in community. I would argue, Lord, how am I going to do that? I'm a mom, I work full-time, and I'm in grad school. Trust me, he said. Give me time, and I'll give you all the time you need. So I surrendered my time to God, joined a community group, and attended faithfully. During that time, my husband lost his job, and our church was planning on leasing a building, this one, in fact. Joe gave a a, a similar speech and asked us to commit financially. Again, the Lord tapped me on the shoulder, give. Are you serious, God? How am I gonna do that? So again, I surrendered my finances and in faith gave $20 a month. We couldn't pay our bills on paper, but each month we did. A year later, an opportunity rose for me to take a part time job. I wasn't sure why, but I felt a pull and saved every penny. A year later, the unthinkable happened. I was facing divorce. I didn't understand it, I had done everything God had asked. I was scared, but again surrendered my finances, anxieties, and what-ifs to God. That money I'd saved from the part-time job was exactly what I needed to pay for my legal fees. Two years later, our church was offering a trip to India, evangelizing door-to-door. Not my strong suit, but the Lord had a plan. I surrendered my ideas and signed up. I trusted if God wanted me there, he would provide. After sharing with a friend my financial commitment, he gave me a check for the balance. God made a way. God was faithful in India. Although I did not feel like I was doing much there, on our last day in the field, I had prayed for God to show me why he took me halfway around the world. During our last day, God revealed to me the purpose for my pain. He brought me to the home of a Hindu woman. She fed me and listened to my story. There in her dining room, we cried together because we felt each other's pain. There in her dining room, she accepted Christ as her savior. It was at that moment I knew what my suffering was for, to bring one soul to Jesus. After several years for searching for a mate, I surrendered my desire for a husband to God and devoted my time to deepening my relationship with him. For three years, it was just God and my son. In that time, I fell in love with Jesus. Shortly thereafter, a friend introduced me to Dan. God was faithful. Dan loved Jesus, leads our family in faith, treats me like the daughter of a king, and is an amazing dad to our three boys. Remember my love for India? God blessed me with two more babies, half Indian. All that to say, when we surrender all to God, in faith, he is faithful to the end. He taught me to give up control, lay down my pride, and leave it at his feet. He taught me that surrender is not a one-time thing, but it's a daily thing. When we are faithful to him, he is faithful to us.
0: Let me, let me have our worship team come forward. <clears throat> um... 20 bucks a month. You're like, well, you know, did that really help us get in? Because at the time, we were trying to get into this building, which was um, <clears throat> coming from the 4-H, which seemed like a huge stretch. And uh, you might say, I, I, that's it, it, not much at all. A- ask, ask her what sticking to that commitment and being willing to sacrifice did for her and her relationship with God as she stepped out in faith. In the verge of... Being now a single mom, going through a divorce, having legal fees, and, and that was, she told me last night that was her first time giving to the church. And, and so um, stepping out in faith, faith and sacrifice is what we've been talking about. And so, um, so church, here's what I'm going to ask you to do for the last seven days. I'm going to ask you to pray through what financial obedience looks like for you. What is financial obedience? Will you be a steward or an owner? Will you move with an eternal perspective or are you going to have a temporary perspective and live for the here and now? And are you willing to live a life of sacrifice or just keep it all for you? Next week, I'm going to ask you to bring these cards back and pray, sit with the Lord, pray, talk it over with your spouse if you're married and ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? And that's all I'm asking you to do is ask God what he wants you to do. So let's pray together. So Father, we come and we thank you that you are a God that is faithful, that you are a God who continues to invite us into deeper waters with you, that we're never done with you in our faith journey. And God, I pray that we would be a church that is willing for such a time as this to rise up, that is, is willing to live by faith to invest into things of eternity. God, I pray that we'd be a people that are obedient, that we wouldn't miss this opportunity in front of us. So God, I pray that we would have ears to hear you this week, that we would do what you simply are asking us to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand together, let's close, church.